Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third season of iWoofs with your hosts, Ian Dunbar, Kelly Dunbar, and me, Jamie Dunbar. Okay, so what's the topic? This week we have Peaceful Paradise or Wild Kingdom. How to live together with two or more dogs that you love, but that don't love each other. Uh, kind of a, a stressful and sad topic, but we get a lot of questions um, from people who are having true challenges in their in their homes. And um, what do you do? What do you, you do? You love both your dogs. You don't necessarily want to rehome, although perhaps we will discuss that a little bit later. Um, it may have to be an option. We have it's... a question. We'll start with our question, and then we'll... we'll okay. All right. We'll... All right. Our question from our... Listener audience, how can you help two not-so-compatible dogs who have to live together to learn to like or at least tolerate one another? I have worked with this, but would like to increase my arsenal. How do you manage dog-dog resource guarding? It's scary. Ugh. 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 Um, it's actually ugh with an cl- uh, uh, exclamation mark. Yeah. It's probably more of a... Ugh. It's scary, and, and it is, it's so, a very complicated, it's a very confusing, uh, very difficult, and often a very sad problem. Um, it all comes down to bite inhibition, and, and you, the scenarios are split black and white. Um, if the dogs have bite inhibition, immensely doable, many options, and, and we're generally going to get over this um, very quickly. It will still be an ongoing thing, though, and people forget that, that uh, groups of dogs need guidance you know, throughout their entire lives. If they don't have bite inhibition, woo. So that means now when the dogs fight, it's not just noisy, but one dog's damaging another. This is, it's really serious. There's no simple solution. And, and basically, if we don't have bite inhibition in one of the dogs, then we've got two options. Um, either we keep them separated, unless we're there. Uh, when we're there, we do lots and lots and lots of classical conditioning. Um, but knowing, of course, that if anything goes wrong, they don't have bite division and one dog will probably go to the vet. Then the other option is rehoming. It's horrible to think about, but um, I have known people... Um, I, I got into a situation once myself, having living with two dogs that did not like each other, and it changes your entire life. Your entire life is now changed if you have two dogs that can't be together. So I I can't overemphasize, you know, puppy class, puppy class, puppy class, puppy class, then dog park, dog park, dog park, dog park. Make sure that dog has bite inhibition. And then the problem becomes one of of giving intelligent, continual feedback. And and I say this rather than most people will say, well, shall we uh, reinforce the rank of the top dog? Or should we push the bottom dog lower? I mean, not that, that's simplistic, stupid advice. What you want to think of is two dogs, they're individuals, maybe three dogs, and most of the time they're interacting fine. Never take that for granted. You always say, well, you dogs are being really good tonight. I think you're all going to have a treat. You know, good dog Claude, good dog Dune, good dog Hugo. In the course of the day, though, one dog will try a stupid little ranking maneuver. That's what dogs do, and especially, I mean, we have three male dogs. And so Dune will often try something stupid with Claude. And so Kelly just says, hey, Dune, knock it off. 
That, that's all it needs. You just say, quick, we don't want this rubbish. I don't want to even think of that escalating between an 85-pound you know, uh, American bulldog and, and Claude, who used to be 110 pounds. We don't want to have any kind of fight, even though we pray that Claude has bite inhibition. We pretty much know because he was a biting dog when we got him and, and he bit us a number of times, or bit me a number of times, and it, and it didn't break the skin. We don't know what he's like with other dogs. Dune, we know much more about because we've raised and trained, and so with Hugo. But it's being alert to these little manoeuvres. One dog just blocks the other. But that's just One. it, yes. Yeah. People aren't very aware to, of those little absolutely. things. Absolutely. Same You've as last week. What are the early the, signs? Yeah. You have to nip it in the bud there. You've got Eyeballing. To, yeah, you've got to learn to watch your dogs. And and when something is is not right, it's not sitting with you, tell them. And it's okay to tell them all. Like, dogs, quit this. Hey, this ends here. Over. There's good dogs. That's all it requires. And for some reason, people don't talk to their dogs. They've got into this this sterile quantum feedback. That well, I think it's that human or you know people understand that the dogs don't speak english and so they might feel silly talking to their dogs and maybe don't understand that there's so much more to the talking in terms of tone and oh absolutely yeah jamie that's such a good point that no the dogs don't understand many words I right mean, you can speak gibberish it. but if you say it's like i do workshops around the world and say i'm doing a workshop in japan I mean, I know about 10 Japanese words, you know, sumasen, biru kudasai, things like that, ohayagazamas, I do workshops. Kado, kado. Now, were those all involved in ordering beers? Many of them, yes, that's true. But I'm fluent in sushi, too. I know a lot of sushi. Oh, sushi. But, let's not get distracted. But training the dogs, I just do it by saying, you know, pup, come here, pup, 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 oh, he's a good boy, good boy, oh, yes, there's and the Japanese good, dogs uh, uh, understand your English. They understand the body language and the tone. They basically know this is right, this is not right, this is right, this is not right. The binary language is, is right. what it is. And that's what's missing, and it's why we want to talk to the dogs. And when you talk, and, and I find this is really important with aggression, because what happens with aggression, the owner gets frustrated, angry, and the dog views that as an aversive punishment. So it makes the problem worse. But if you talk from your heart and you always begin the sentence with I, so then you don't say, you bad dog. And instead you say, I really don't like it when you do that. I've seen dogs, you know, five group of five dogs with a woman stop instantly and look at her like, what's up with mum? And she's got a tear coming out of her eye and she just controlled that thing like that and she's let the dogs know, I don't like it when you do this crap. That comes but, from living with another species and, and watching and hearing and learning body language mm -hmm. and tone all the time. We talked a little bit about this, the Steve Dale interview, about how, you know, we were talking about saying please to your dog, remember that? Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I you know, and I said it doesn't it's not that they need to hear please, but we right. change our tone and our entire demeanor when we say please, and it changes the whole, oh, way, your whole approach. So, so from being scary to being Yeah, nice so and saying pleasant. stop it, you say, you know, or, or saying sit, you say 
you know, sit please or come over here. And it's, it's, it just changes the whole, I think, the whole interaction. And they, mm-hmm. they pick up on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's a request instead of a command, but it's still one in certain instances we want the dog to be absolutely compliant. Just want the, people to understand that's coming from it's us that yes. changes. It's not that the dog understands. Yeah. The so I, I think being aware of the interaction, which, which really is a fascinating thing. I mean, I, I think it's. I, I just like living with a dog. You know, I, I, I found with Omaha, he, I was a one dog. You know, like family, and then with Phoenix, you know, it was with Omaha especially. It was me and him. This was the relationship. But now we we generally have three dogs. And that is so much more fascinating, what the three dogs do together than what any of the dogs do with me. And, and Kelly would tell you, well, it's very little, Ian, because you're not you're doing the stuff. But that's the fascinating thing, and we got to watch it. And, and there's so many times when I have to tell them, like, you know, Hugo, no, you don't do that. You, you don't sit on Claude's tail, you know. Or, no, do, you do not tread on Hugo. And you have to keep reminding them. Mm-hmm. And it's just giving feedback, very commonsensical feedback, and the dogs get it, and we don't let these things escalate and get out of control. And we have to work on it. And the more dogs that you have in the household, the, the energy just increases. That was a huge leap for me. Um, I'd, I'd always been a kind of a two-dog household until, I don't know, about eight, eight nine years ago, I guess. And... Um, Two dogs, it was so easy energetically to, to, to work with that. Bringing the third dog in mm-hmm. didn't triple the energy. It, like, more than quadrupled the energy level. They, the, the level of competition and the frenetic behavior that, that came of having that third animal in the house has, has stayed with us for all that time. No, it, it's so actually, you, yes, a logarithmic function. So you have to that, keep working on yeah. it, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, it's constant. Like, Dune, how many times do we have to tell him... Um, to not push the other dogs down the stairs. When, so, when they're excited and that we're all going out for a walk, we're all going down to the kitchen for dinner, or somebody they love has just come through the door like this morning when Betty got there, you know, there's excitement and Dune wants to be first. And if he's not in front, he's damn well going to push his way to the front. And one dog is smaller than him and one dog is more frail. And that's a constant, you know, because the energy level and the competition level is so high, we have to keep reminding them. I guess that's what I'm yeah. saying. That changes tra- dramatically when you add so, dogs yeah. to the mix. I think if you have a group, you know, like ours, luckily the plus dogs two, have bite yeah. inhibition, um, that the feedback, we want to nip the problems in the bud, and we never, ever, ever want to forget the good stuff. That when you have a bad relationship, it's, what people generally mean by that is the dog has had eight fights in the past three years. Well, that means for the past two years, 364 days, 23 hours, and 16 minutes, the dogs have been perfectly well behaved and you haven't given them appropriate feedback. So always appropriate feedback for good behavior is the number one thing to do. And if it is a situation where dogs are not damaging each other, you, use your voice. Just, just deal with it. However... What do we do when one dog is damaging another? This is where we have to wise up very quickly because, you know, it happens again. The dog's going to the vet clinic again. So what are some tools? I think there are some things that would apply regardless um, to whether or not the dogs are damaging each other. The things we can do to help, because the question is, you know, the dogs aren't so compatible, but they have to live together. And they, um, and the, the goal is to get them to learn to like each other or at the very least tolerate. So obviously there are different levels of acceptance here. 
what are there things we can do such as classical conditioning? No, that I mean, let's talk a little bit about the routine of it's yeah, it's classical con conditioning up the wazoo, but now we have to do it safely. <laughs> that you know, we can't let the dogs run around, you know, with their so they, they need to be muzzled. So they live separately when we come home, we muzzle the dogs, we put them on leash, one owner per dog. So here's a standard classical conditioning routine husband sits with one dog, you know, on the couch, well, the dog can be on the floor or whatever. And dogs on leash. I like the leash tied to something, like an eye hook in the wall. I don't like people holding the leash because they generally g dogs up when they do that. So I what like the dog. Mean? It gets them all excited. They, they can't like, keep us. They can't be them. a tree, right? So yeah. If a dog lunges and you let it, let it, let him out and pull him back, let him out, pull him back, he'll lunge more. That's how we train sled dogs to pull. You pull them back, let them go. Pull them back, let them go. So I like the dog tied securely in to an eye hook. Yeah. And then the wife with the other dog leaves the room, comes in the room for a few seconds, leaves the room, comes in the room for 15 seconds, leaves the room, comes in for 10. So she enters and leaves and re-enters the room and stays in the room for a variable amount of time each time. The husband with the other dog totally ignores the dog if the other dog is not in the room. Sorry. Totally ignores it. When the other dog comes in the room, the husband then pays attention to his dog. Oh, yes, who's a good dog? And hand feeds him his dinner. Oh, he's a good dog. Very good dog. Stroking him. Because he may not take the food if he's really uptight, but he will hear all the praise and hear the stroking and everything. The instant the wife leaves with the, the, the stimulus dog, the husband stops praising. So, oh, he's a good boy. Oh, yes. Good. Oh. Like that. So we present this black and white feedback to the dog. That the other dog's absent, husband ignores me. Other dog present, husband gives me praise. Then we switch roles. So now the husband has taken the stimulus dog in and out, and the wife is sitting with this dog. So the dog learns, well, it's not the wife coming in and out. It's the other dog. And would okay. you switch roles then and move the dog? Yep. Then you switch dogs. Now the stimulus dog becomes the dog we're going to train, and so on. And we do this every day. And that what we're trying to do here is we, we aren't altering the bite inhibition. If there were a fight, it's likely damage would still be done. What we're trying to do is lessen the reason these have, dogs have for fighting. But basically, if the dogs are classically conditioned to each other, they, this is a subconscious process. It's not like the dog says, oh, here comes the dog that makes my husband, you know, her, her husband happy and he gives me cookies. It's just that the other dog appears and now we have a warm, fuzzy feeling inside instead of like animosity, like I really don't like that dog. And so that, that's what classical conditioning is. So now that takes the edge off the fuse. So all and the good dogs things come in the presence of the other dog. If, all if good all things. Walks, Petting, games. Sometimes tandem walks work really Tandem well. walks is fantastic. Sometimes, I mean, if they're not. Yeah. Usually if they live together, they can walk next to each but other. But especially if you, you know, you stop lots and take time to give the feedback. And I have known situations like this where a year later, two years later, the owners have written to me and say, guess what? Our dogs have now been living together for a couple of years and we haven't had another accident. I still let them know, yeah, if there is another accident, though, it probably won't be as bad as before. Because the classical conditioning, I'm sure, we don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure it would take the edge off the force of a bite. So if we then had an altercation that this dog uh, ran into the other one by accident, he didn't know he was there when he was chewing on his bone and we get a fight, I would expect it not to be so serious. 
but I have heard of successes where people have done this. They started off by keeping the dogs totally separate. They did the classical conditioning so they could at least have the dogs in the same room, muzzled, and watch TV in the evenings. They could enjoy both dogs. But then they've written to me and say, guess what? The dogs are now living together. And so it can work. So they just don't have another fight. Yep. The point is, it's the only thing you can do. It's the only solution. So there isn't more that you can add to your arsenal. No. It's pretty much just classical uh, the, the next thing we do is we, we have to rehome one of the dogs. Yeah. And, and that's heartbreaking because the dog that you, you really want to keep the dog that doesn't have the bite inhibition. Because you it's, really have it's, to keep the dog. Unless you know, there could be a situation where someone says, look, I want a dog. I don't go anywhere. I want the dog to live in my house. <laughs> oh, that dream person? And, the that dreams house is pretty fun. I have they, a farm. There's they, lots of bunnies. I'm a single you know? woman with no children <laughs> ever visiting. No other dogs ever coming to my life. No, it's it's. But it's they difficult. do exist. Otherwise, you have to keep the dog with no bite division. You really have to. Or do. or learn to manage and muzzles, yeah. basket muzzles, so that the dog can breathe and pant and and you can and get treats in there easily. Um, you know, that's it's not. You can't leave dogs unattended that way. But they can they can be together. Most as you say, most dogs who fight, even though it's terrible when they do, they. There are triggers. If you can identify what those triggers are, you can manage those those triggers away. What if it is resource guarding, for instance? You know, dog-dog resource guarding, is there any real luck with making that better? You know, let's say the dogs don't kill each other, but they fight a lot over bones and toys. You know? Well, that I would obviously start by feeding them separately, but then when I give them bones and toys, I would say, right, uh, both dogs, you're tethered, you're in this room, you can't meet. That if you went to the end of your leashes, you'd be two feet apart and you're going to lie down beside each other and you're both going to have stuffed, well, you're getting a stuffed Kong and you're getting a stuffed squirrel dude. And now you have like a auto-shaping classical conditioning. That now you sit back and watch these dogs and they're both chewing on their chew toys, classically conditioning each other to enjoy each other's presence. Because then after 10 minutes, you say, okay, chewing's up. We take the chew toys away. We put each dog's into its confinement we separate, separate them yeah. yeah for five minutes then we bring them out tether them and they can chew but in close proximity again so the, the, there's lots of exercises to do but the the classical conditioning is the is the only route now it's the only route once we realize that um and safety obviously we, we we've got to um have the dogs muzzled or have them separated. So how about helping people assess how just how dangerous something is? You've talked about, um, you know, I mean, I think most people really are overwhelmed by the sound of an average scuffle, let alone a true fight. I mean, clearly if animals are going to the hospital, then you've got a, a serious problem. But there's a lot of gray area in there, I think, where people might be able to get some success and don't have to worry about damage. This is It's absolutely essential they know this because... One of the worst things with all dog-dog aggression, whether it's your dog fighting in the park or two dogs fighting at home, is the dogs have a scuffle, which is blatantly not dangerous, but at that point, the owner splits the dogs up. And at that point, socialization just goes down the tubes. And the problem gets worse and worse and worse as every day goes by. So that's why it's really important for owners to know how to objectively assess is this situation dangerous? So how about some legal dog fighting, you know, um, 
you know, what's like if a dog gets a nick on the ear or if they're just biting each other around the necks. You know, I mean, talk about oh, well, some it, things that you know, are, before okay, are we, kosher in the... Yeah, before we even get to any signs of damage done, the question is, was any damage done? And in the majority of dog fights, the answer is no. When you look at the dogs afterwards... Lots of noise, um, lots of spit, lots of lots noise, of wetness. Lots of spit. They're all wet round the neck, which is really a cool sign because... Um, dogs, when they fight, should bite each other from the neck forwards. So uh, by the soft part of the, the neck, the back of the neck. equivalent of a fair fight above the belt, huh? Yeah, we call it the... Above the, the, the collar. The marquee. No, not the collar. Above the belt. Yeah, oh, I'll see. Above the collar. That's very good, yeah. So it's the marquee of dogs' brief fighting rules, we, we call them. And so if you've had a fight and no damage is done, that is huge proof this dog was not trying to hurt the so other dog. So at that point, the last thing you want to do is separate the dogs. You want to get them together as soon as possible. Do a little so more classical conditioning. Say, say we had a situation like this. This would be the best possible things. For several months, these dogs have been together and done things and played. And we've said, you're good dogs. You make Daddy really proud. Daddy likes you. You're good dogs. Then we have a fight. We say, quit it! What are you doing? Then say, right, now go play again. There's good dogs, good dogs. That would probably be a one-shot learning experience. And, and, and that would be it. And it's like... Um, they would learn that you don't like the fighting, but they wouldn't yeah, be so very anxious. They, you wouldn't be making them nervous and anxious around A classical example is in the fighting DVD we have. This is where we, we were meant to be doing a classical conditioning routine, and the producer said speed things up! You know, the camera crew has to go um, to lunch. And so I said, all right, I'll use my voice to stop them fighting. And what you have, I don't, didn't like bringing that in that early in training. And you could tell the dog didn't know me well yet. And I had to make up for the like, damage I did to him. But my voice, number one, praised him for not fighting. Number two, stopped him for fighting within one and a half seconds. And number three, praised him for being good afterwards. So after a couple of procedures, the dog had a life again. He could go and play in the new forest and run with other dogs and, 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 and you know, cows and horses and, and what have you. So the best thing you can do, you always want to maintain that these dogs are still together. As soon as we split them up, that's a huge decision. And each day that goes by, they'll get worse and worse very quickly. And, and so this is why they must know, look, they had a fight. No damage was done. Get a bunch of people by all means. Get a bunch of friends. Be prepared. Get, um, you know, with fighting dogs in humane societies, we'll use a pig board. It's basically some plywood with a handle on the top to push between the two dogs. Because you don't want to put your hand or leg in there if you even remotely think these dogs don't have bite inhibition. But get those dogs together as soon as possible. And you may do it slowly, as Kelly says. Uh, leash them, take them on a walk together. Let's sit on a couch and watch the telly together. So the dogs are separated and safe, but they're still in the room together and we're still doing the classical conditioning. You, you will see so many times, um, and this is more for dogs that fight with dogs they don't know, um, that they get, go through puppy class. I mean, we've mentioned this so many times on, on, on iWoofs. They go through puppy class, they have a sociable dog. The very first fight this dog is in, from now on, the dogs let off leash again. Well, this is Doesn't the play with dogs anymore. No, and this is adolescence when he really needs good socialization to get him through adolescence. Instead, he has to take what he got from puppyhood, and he won't get any more socialization, and he will become leash reactive so quickly you can't believe it.
if they'd just said, well, that was a horrible fight, but no damage is done, get him playing again and praise him for playing with that dog. Praise him for looking at this dog. Praise him when this dog sniffs his butt. We would solve the problem. It's like if you put your teenager in solitary confinement after their first argument. It's like, oh, no, you can't talk with anyone ever again. And obviously it's going to be a deformed and... Yeah. You know, socially maladapted <laughs> adult. I, I meant to apologize to you for that, Jamie. Yeah, I shouldn't have done it. I should not. I have was done constantly it. socialized yeah. as an adolescent. I think that's a. I mean, you've raised a much bigger picture there, and I, I call it dead training time that you see with negative punishment, um, time out from training. What we, you know, I, I, to me, it's wasted training time. If you're going to have a time out. Say one dog's bullying another. It, I don't, only want it to last a couple of seconds. Just take the dog by the collar. Say, hey, quit it, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Now go play. Get him playing again. Good boy. There's a good boy. Oh, good, off, off, off. Hey, hey, hey. Good boy. Go. Take him by the collar again. I said off. What part of that don't you understand? Now go play again. Good boy. Oh, good boy. Good boy. And, and we can train that bullying out of a puppy within two to three minutes but we can't do it if we say, you're a bad bully. We're going to put you in time out for five minutes. We have a whole episode on bullying behavior coming up. Oh, well, I won't say any more. What we're doing the same here is time out from socialization. One fight, well, you never get to socialize again. So what we know is tomorrow it's going to be worse. And the next day it's going to be even worse. And we're looking at a developmental problem. And, and, and that means as each week, as each month goes by, it gets much more difficult to resolve. So the having the tools to objectively count, we call it the bite-fight ratio. How many fights did they have? Usually the more, the better. Because the more fights they've had, the more we assume they aren't serious. Because you've got to be really stupid to let your dog get into a third fight if he's put two dogs in hospital. And then out of these fights, how many times did the dog go to the vet clinic? And the usual fight-bite history is, you know, two dogs have had six fights and neither dog has gone to the vet clinic. This isn't a big problem, so resolve it right away. It's not it's a dangerous a, problem. Not it a dangerous, yeah, it's a big problem, yeah. sorry. It's not a dangerous problem. So, so classical, classical conditioning. conditioning and appropriate feedback. The big thing people miss with fighting is when the dog is good. And fighting dogs are good for 99.99% of the time. You know, because the owner will say, oh, he fights all the time, he's trying to kill the other dog. It's absolutely not true. The dogs did many things that were good. One dog's lying here, the other dog looks at him, and he doesn't respond. That's good. Praise him for it. He wags his tail when another dog walks by. Praise him for it. And, and that's what people absolutely and, and totally miss. And, and if we now... And, and, and I can't give a any talk on any topic till we bring it back to puppyhood. We should be giving this feedback with an eight-week-old puppy in the house. And, and just telling him, no, you don't do that to an older dog. We start him off giving the feedback at eight weeks because these older dogs he's come to live with, they got the feedback at eight weeks. Then we take him to puppy class and he learns all this stuff early on. But above all, we, we always come back to what is the most important thing to teach any animal and its bite inhibition. How to inhibit the use of your weapons, whether they are jaws or hoofs or beaks or horns or, or what have you. And this is what makes an animal livable. And if we make mistakes, it makes them undoable.
But once the dog is harming other animals, you have in my book next to the unsolvable problem. And that was a very serious topic for the day. But it's over, right? I think we've run out of time. It's true. Yep. Am I getting yeah. the message? End of another. Say goodbye, everybody. See goodbye. you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's all for this episode of iWoofs. Thank you for listening.